podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey gang, great news. We have extended our partnership with the brilliant crew at collegefootballisland.com and the Aer Lingus College Football Classic this year. Notre Dame at Navy is the big game and me, Ben, Propo and more going to be out there for all the build-up. We're going to be recording pods. There's talk of a live show. We'll be at the game. We are super excited about it. We're going to be dropping special episodes of College Days here on the NC Show in the build-up to it. Lots of brilliant guests coming your way. If you haven't, if you didn't make it over last year, you've got to try and get out there this year or next year's game has been announced as well. So head on over to collegefootballisland.com. Find out more information from the website. We hope to see you out there. Welcome to College Days in association with collegefootballisland.com. That can only mean one thing, gang. Benny from the block. Ben Isaacs back in the house and a jam-packed show we've got in store for you. There is tons of NFL news that we really want to bring down, Benny. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is red hot, the news agenda right now in the NFL. But in all seriousness, we are going to get into one or two quite interesting angles that are catalysts in the news that have got us thinking about that. Sneaky playoff teams is where we're going to go with that one. So we'll get into that in just a bit. There is uh, somebody significant to the Bears organization that has passed away that Ben wants to raise a glass to and cast our attention and eyes on. We're going to look forwards as well to the 2024 draft. Ben's going to give his top defensive players to be keeping an eye on that will be in the NFL within 12 months time. We're going to look ahead to the college season as a whole and particularly the national championship contenders could georgia three pete that's the question i want to know if for no other reason than for degenerate gambling uh reasons <laughs> we're gonna look into that shout out to rakesh rakesh of course you will know longtime listener to the show who is currently putting together the nc show movie via an ai platform that will not be named but he might have built it himself rakesh for all i know listen to last week's show for the first taster of that ben you are the protagonist you're the star of uh, of that story so rakesh has messaged us via the uh, nc show social channels at the nc show facebook instagram twitter threads threads you're on threads you're on threads i'm on threads i've got to find out if carlson's worked out how to use threads yet <laughs> so, because of course, if he has, he'll be able to answer all your questions that you send in before we actually get to them on the show. So, Rakesh has promised us that he's going to be working on the AI movie over the weekend, Ben. Yeah, I am super excited because I, it, it's absolute genius. The setup was great. And if in the past you were kind of sat around drunk in the pub and someone has this hilarious idea for like, oh, imagine if they made a film like this, none of those people are going to go off and like, oh, do you know what? I'm going to start writing up some scripts. I'm going to start writing up some scenes and see how it would be. No one's going to do that. No one's actually going to follow through. But yet with the with the magic of AI, mm-hmm. you have someone to do that for you. You've just got to have the ideas. So the fact that he's plugging those ideas in and then making them do the donkey work, this is why AI is important. So whenever anyone criticizes AI and saying, oh, I've lost my job because of AI, remind them that they also wrote a funny treatment for a film. Yeah, and hopefully a franchise. Let's be honest. I mean, I'm 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 looking forward to air bud levels of, of volume in terms of what might come out of uh, Rakesh, and and I'm sure that listeners will be getting involved with it as well as we as we push this out there. So we've got all that to come, and of course, I think what's prompt. I, I think which way around it worked, whether it prompted us to think of the NC Show Football Movie Hall of Fame or the other way around. Either way, you 
indoctrinated Rudy to last week and some interesting responses to that. It's my turn this week. So my shout for the NC Show Movie Hall of Fame won't come as a surprise to many of you. So all that to get into. I wasn't talking lightly when I said the show is jam-packed. Before we get to any of that, though, we obviously, of course, have to lead off. And listeners, you might have detect, detected a little husky, husky tone to my voice today because I was in Hyde Park last night for the boss, for E Street, vintage Springsteen. Ben, they were flawless, absolutely flawless. And if that wasn't enough, guess who was alongside me, raising a glass to the boss and E Street, cracking often inappropriate jokes throughout the course of the show. None other old school Americanage faithful than Hollywood Dan. Wow. In the house. He was in brilliant form. He promised at one stage that if they played Wrecking Ball, he was going to throw one of his shoes onto the stage. Um, And they did play Wrecking Ball. Um, So I don't know whether he actually followed through on that because he um, and his other half, Lauren, Shout out to Lauren as well. Uh, the They managed to blag wristbands into the Golden Circle. Uh, this well, is he's te- famous. That's why. Textbook Hollywood. Wandered off to get a drink, came back with these wristbands and and ended up uh, in the Golden Circle. So he might well have followed through on his promise that because the, the boss did play Wrecking Ball and he might well have lost a shoe on, onto the stage. Uh, it was great to see him and it was great to see the boss as well. If you haven't, and I know that I preach... Springsteen, I know a lot of you out there are converted, but if you haven't, just go and do it. One a one time in your life before you lose the chance, go and see the E Street Live. I, I want to ask a question. So yeah. when you went so for a start, how long how long was the show? Three hours. Three hours. I mean, yeah. that's a performance. Now, before you went in, mm. you would you would know the songs that you are expecting to hear, the the deep cuts that you're hoping will come out. Did you, because I've discovered this is like a thing, did you look up the set list yep. beforehand? You did. I said, so set list. This is, surprises me. Set list. Well, this is the thing. So set list, uh, .fm is the website, right? And you can, uh, pretty much any, certainly major recording artist is on there. It will show you chronologically when an artist is on tour. And it's also obviously got a library retrospectively deep diving, but uh, the the songs, the set list, that hence the name that, that that artist played at any given gig. So Springsteen's midway, maybe more through his through his world tour right now. So you can see what he's been playing and patterns emerge. Now the thing with an artist like Springsteen, it was twofold really. Firstly, because of the length of the show and the just the volume of tracks that he's got, he will often mix stuff up, not deviate significantly from a core set list. But most shows will have a little variation. And then you compound that with Springsteen's tendency to pull out requests from the crowd. So a lot of the hardcore Springsteen faithful that are up front will have song requests written on cardboard and he'll grab one and play it. Last night didn't really do anything left field or certainly unusual from it. It was it looked to me like a core set from this tour. Now, the flip side of that was it was so on point from from the beginning. So we didn't get any su- surprise or like t- debut songs on the tour or anything like that. I was disappointed. You're always going to be disappointed because you all have your favorites. Hollywood Dance was Wrecking Ball, which is quite a left field choice, isn't it? I really wanted Jungle Land and Racing in the Street. These are my two favorite 
songs and he pl- often plays them in london actually has i think he's played them much on this tour if at all i thought okay he's gonna play at least one of those but he did he didn't do that he, he kind of stuck pretty pretty true to this core set list so in some respects if you without overstating it saying that's disappointing but then the flip side of it the glass half full side is they were on point ben from the get-get i mean it's, it's 30 seconds in they were just rolling i mean there's no season form mid they were peak peak form uh so look go go if you if you can somehow blag tickets tomorrow night he's playing hyde park again or check out the where the tour's going maybe do a sneaky little european trip i haven't i don't follow kind of where he's going next presumably back to the states i mean god i've always wanted to go and see springsteen at metlife i'm sure he's going to be doing that so if you can if you can get it done do it it was sensational he's got a significant nfl connection because was it the um cardinal steelers super bowl that he did the halftime show whichever one it was it was the first because they were planning this out and it's like how do you turn his sort of set into like a 15 minute set you know that that is that is there's an art to that and when they were working all that out and figuring out how this is going to go it was decided Let's have fans right up close to the stage, which was mm-hmm. a no-go. They did not do this in Super Bowl halftime shows. They did it for the first time with Springsteen, and now it's every time because yeah. it looks so much better. They it's wanted to have point. this extra energy there. So basically pre-selected fans were allowed to kind of come onto the field, and it is logistically kind of difficult, but it was felt, well, look, if it, if it makes it better. So every Super Bowl halftime show we see now that's really where it was born. Love that. I didn't. I didn't realize that. I hadn't put two. In, not for the first time in my life. I hadn't put two and two together there. And and you're right, Springsteen. I mean, it just feeds off the energy of the. The man is 72 years old. It's ridiculous. It is. I, oh my God, Benny. If I'm in half the shape the boss is at 72, <laughs> I, would, I would be a happy man. So shout out to East Street uh, for doing it once again. Right. Let's get into this idea I teased at the top of the show about sneaky sneaky playoff teams. Now there is method to the thinking here, as opposed to us chucking in some high summer filler <laughs> for the show, which we might have done once or twice in the past. So there were two things that got me thinking of about this. Firstly, looking at the list of free agents that are still on the market, and and the two most notable, other than Zeke, I guess, uh, offensive players that are most notable, other than Zeke, a D Hop and Dalvin Cook, two players we've talked about a fair bit over the last few weeks, given their trajectories and, and given when the initial news broke that they were going to be on the move, possible landing spots. Now deals haven't been inked for either of them at the moment, but both of them, because of the fact that there is so much speculation, both of them seem to be fairly heavily linked to the Patriots, which for both players individually, I think makes, makes a lot of sense. They both feel very much like the kind of players that Belichick would want in a particularly when you're thinking D Hop and uh, and the smarts at receiver and, and the kind of player he likes in that role, let's just say they both sign for New England. Does that make the Patriots a sneaky playoff team? Because no one is really seriously in that division in this conference looking at the Patriots as anything more than maybe eking out an eight and nine kind of season. Right? I don't think anyone's anyone's taking them particularly seriously right now. I think. There is, despite the complexity of the East and the wider AFC wildcard picture, I think there is an argument to be made that if these two sign for them, that could push them into a 10 and 7 outside wildcard 
kind of gang. What do you think? I think I think you're right. And I think if they can put a double-digit win season together, which is entirely possible with savvy additions and having the greatest head coach in NFL history still there on the sideline figuring these things out. Wait a minute, Matt Patricia's still there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry, I'm with you. you. I I got it. um, And they can get a decent season out of Mac Jones, better than last season. They can be a 10-win team. But the thing is, is that that will create absolute carnage in the AFC East because it means taking some wins off AFC East teams. And all those other teams in the AFC East will be feeling like, oh, we can win a Super Bowl. Not just we can make the playoffs. The other three, Miami, New York, and Buffalo, will all be thinking we can win a Super Bowl. And especially especially the Bills, because they are so close anyway. The Jets will feel Aaron Rodgers puts them into Super Bowl contention instantly. And we've seen how the Dolphins can be, and there have been some inconsistencies. But you have to put them above the Patriots right now. If the Patriots win 10 games then they are not finishing fourth in that division. Mm. It means one of those three teams is having a disastrous year because they've gone from, we can win a Super Bowl to, we didn't even make the playoffs. Most likely out of those three, because it's a great point you make. The Bills, who have been right in the thick of it as serious contenders for three, four years now. The Dolphins, the zeitgeist, young gun offensive genius, white hot offensive chaos, fast improving D, Lots of buzz about them, but could confound expectations the wrong way. The Jets, as you said, have gone all in on one of the all-time greats, which could go, I think it will go very well, but it could conceivably go spectacularly badly. Which of those three is most likely to crash and burn? I think Miami. And from a quarter, and I I, I am a pro to a tongue of Iowa. I have been since the first time I had to say his name on the podcast. I reckon we were the first UK-based podcast to say Tua Tungavailoa way back. <laughs> way I've back. Been, where we definitely, but I think back yeah. on radio we were talking oh, about. Yeah, we were way back. On national radio talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. So, but, 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 sorry, just to j- jump in. Is it, is that why? Is, is it, is it, is Tua the, the Tua fragility the reason why you're not? Yes. In comparison with who the Jets and the Bills have got at quarterback not because i've got not much faith in two i've certainly got a lot more faith in two than i have in mac jones much more but if one of those three super bowl contenders is going to have a bad season and the and the patriots are able to leapfrog them and sneak into the playoffs i would say miami now miami's window of contention should be open for longer in theory than the jets because the Jets have really pushed all their chips into the table and said, this is Aaron Rodgers and we're going to ride him to the Super Bowl. If that doesn't work out, like it didn't work out with Brett Favre, and I'm not putting the two in the same breath. Brett Favre is nowhere near as talented as Aaron Rodgers. If that doesn't work out, then they are in a hole. Whereas the Dolphins could just draft another quarterback if it doesn't work out with Tua. Interestingly, looking at backup, so uh, taking the Patriots outside for a minute, yeah, out of this. I look at the backup quarterbacks for those three. Yikes. I think, yeah, I think the Dolphins might be in the best spot. So Mike White is obviously the backup as far as the depth chart, everything that's coming out of camp, that he is going to be the number two and um, Skyler three. Kyle Allen is Josh Allen's backup with Matt Barkley, incidentally, still going strong. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that man has made a living. I could, yeah. He must have the greatest agent in sports 
That's <laughs> David history, right? This guy uh, must have Kirk Cousins' agent, Mike McCartney. Shout out. Um, I want to check if he has. I bet you <laughs> he's be got the same agent. And then, uh, and then of course, Zach Wilson is, is Aaron Rodgers' his backup, right? <laughs> so the Dolphins have the best backup <laughs> yeah. situation. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not being facetious here in the sense that how much does that matter? Well, let's just say the Rogers takes them to nine and three and then goes down. You, you, so you've got a team in contention who can get you over the line, maybe not to win the whole thing, but to keep you in the mix. I'm backing probably Mike White out of those three. If Yeah. Let's say they're all nine and three and the starter goes down and is done for the whole season. Yeah. I would think, I would think he can get you over the line. I'm less confident about Zach Wilson, yeah. but with all those, all those teams, they are not, simply reliant on a quarterback these are three teams that are well built like that's why the afc East is so exciting these are not just like flash in the pan teams these are teams built to win for a few years but any of them if the quarterback goes down there's going to be a massive drop off but yeah i would say mike white is the is the best of those backups zach wilson redemption story i mean i can see it it's the, it's the it's week 17 now actually you wouldn't be playing well let's say they've locked in they've locked in their playoff spot Rogers is rested week seven, week 18. Week 18, yeah. Yeah. Wilson comes in, plays credibly. It goes to the first round of the playoffs. Rogers goes down first quarter. That's the end. The Jets, surely now everyone's right. And Zach Wilson takes them all the way. The redemption story. I mean, I think Rakesh's story is more realistic. <laughs> Get that involved, Rakesh, if you're listening. You haven't done it yet. I want some kind of Zach Wilson redemption arc. All right, so I think that the Patriots might be my uh, sneaky playoff team. This, incidentally, is history repeating itself because you remember a few years back when I was very much on that tip. And you remember it because I don't let you forget it very much. No, on that you, you, you brought it up every show we did together and you were yeah. practically texting me every Sunday. It, that and one of my other all-time... Um, the Amari Cooper deal probably is the, is the other one that is, <laughs> I never let anyone forget. Okay. Carlton Davis of Tampa Bay Buccaneers fame. He thinks it's the Bucs. I love I love this stage of the season when it's just, oh, I'm just going to check out a quick speed read of NFL's homepage, NFL.com's homepage. And we're pushing stories like this. Um, we're about to do it to him, says Carlton. Yikes. Everyone, I'm not quite sure exactly what he's talking about there. Anybody who feels we've lost Tom Brady and lost something is going to be in for a rude awakening. And then he doubles down a rude awakening. He says twice, Tom was oh. a great, this is a great line. Tom was a great addition for us. Mm, yeah, <laughs> obviously, I guess. Obviously it's a team sport. Carlton Davis is fast becoming one of my favorite players just on the back of this, this interview. Obviously you need <laughs> components to be successful. We still have those components and I'm, I'm only getting better now. Love this swagger. For, I mean, if there is a team that is, I mean, they are down there with who the Rams, I would say, as quite possibly having the worst record in football. The, I mean, the Bucks are uh, at the moment being projected to have, what, bottom bottom six team record. Yeah. Right? So Carlton's not buying it and saying he's going to, he thinks the Bucks are going to surprise people. Well, I don't know. Maybe we'll look um, into that in more detail. What about you, Ben? Well, first off, I just want to say the way he's talking about Tom Brady, it's like if you had an E Street cover band and Bruce Springsteen actually came and said, you know what, I'll perform with you guys for one show. And then afterwards, them saying, well, you know, he was a nice addition, but I'm pretty happy with what we've already got. 
<laughs> I love that. We've got uh, a lot to cover. I love um, the current affairs relevancy of that uh, particular segue. Um, but um, your I, I, for me, I'm. I think. I think it's another NFC South team. I think it's the Falcons. I think yeah, the Falcons love are going to be an exciting team if if Drake London and Kyle Pitts can achieve their potential. If Desmond Ritter can do what he was doing in college. I, I know a lot of people are down on Desmond Ritter. I am not. And you've got to judge it on a sliding scale. If he was picked third overall, I might feel like, whoa, he's overrated. He shouldn't have gone there. Mm. But he was drafted in, I think, the third round. And I think he's a talented guy. And I think given enough reps, he is an NFL starter. You combine that with, presumably they're going to go with like a run first strategy. They're going to have Bijan Robinson. I really like the offense that they've got set up there. I think this is a team that can make a run to the playoff. I'm not saying a Super Bowl contender, but I think this is going to be a fun season for Atlanta Falcons fans, and I would expect them to do better than the Bucs. I love that, and I'm in on that. Go listen to one of the Ed Rushes in the vault, me and Propo, with our early season picks and futures steers. The Falcons over was one of mine. I love it. I think they are going to surprise a lot of people. All right, well, let us know what you think on that front at the NC Show. Get your sleeper sneaky playoff picks in. And it's got to be teams that no one's really taken at all seriously, like the Bucks, other than, <laughs> of course, Carlton Davis. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe he sees, sees something Carl Trask and <laughs> in yeah. trading camp. You never know. Benny, you want to raise a glass to Vince Tobin, former Cardinals I... head coach, uh, who passed yeah. away in the last week, uh, aged 79. One of... Um, one of the mainstays, of course, in the game for for an, a number of decades, but at the same time, not always surprisingly, a, a kind of under the radar name when you think about the era that he was in. Tell us more about him for those that that don't know him and why you wanna why you wanna remember him. Well, I think he's probably best known for the '98 Cardinals, right. the miracle Cardinals, who somehow got into the playoffs. I think it was like a last second field goal in the last game of the regular season and uh, beating the Cowboys in the playoffs, which the it was the Cowboys were expected to be, you know, very much a Super Bowl contender and that this was a, a formality. He didn't have a lot of good seasons with the Cardinals. The Cardinals were not great at that time, but he did draft Jake Plummer and Pat Tillman, who were kind of iconic players there. But for me, as a Bears fan, I always associate him with the Bears because he was defensive coordinator there for six years. And notably, he's the guy who replaced Buddy Ryan. So Buddy Ryan famously told the defensive unit that he was leaving the night before Super Bowl 20 and they were furious and they started smashing up the room. And then the next day they smashed up the Patriots and genius that, man motivation from Buddy. Ryan, I know, I know they were so angry about it. I mean, you don't even need to motivate them that much anyway. They were like a bunch of animals in a good way. So then Vince Tobin came in. He's a different sort of guy to Buddy Ryan. And the defense wasn't as ridiculously aggressive as it was under Buddy Ryan. But it's worth noting that in terms of statistics, the 86 Bears had a better defense than the 85 Bears. They just weren't as intimidating. Vince Tobin did a fantastic job as the Bears defensive coordinator. And he doesn't get did a lot they of credit. Take to him? Not... Did, they, did they set, I mean, they... you know, with all those characters, Richard Dent, I mean, it was an incredible, incredible team. But was the unit mainly kept together year on year as well? Yeah, I mean, it was in the era before like kind of widespread free agency, but yeah. they... They let Wilbur Marshall go, which they shouldn't have done. They could have done more to keep him, but he went to Washington and that that was a big blow. That was mm. a massive blow. Um, and if it wasn't for that, then really the core of the team, the core of the defense had 
was sticking around. But there were, you know, there were problems within the organization. But the, the players did take to Tobin, not like the way they took to Buddy Ryan, who they just absolutely loved. But they could see how well the defense was playing. Mm. Like I say, they were not as aggressive, but they was this was still an aggressive defense. And obviously they didn't win another Super Bowl after that, even though they they did set a record for like the fewest games lost in the course of three or four seasons in a row, whatever it was, but they just could not get back to a Super Bowl. But Vince Tobin really did his part. Mike Ditka was a bigger issue than Vince Tobin. And Vince Tobin, they've kind of forgotten Bears defensive coordinator hero. So yeah. here's to you, Vince. Love that. Well said, Benny. Well said. And speaking of great defensive players, that moves us nicely into a look ahead, another look ahead at the 2024 draft. Of course, Ben, a resident college expert, is keeping a keen eye on talent that's going to be or potentially your NFL franchise any day soon. Uh, we <laughs> looked in the vault, this quarterbacks we've already done, and we're going to, of course, be dipping into this throughout the course of the season as well as the offseason as we as we start to look ahead. Um, but today we're looking at the top defensive players in the draft. Firstly, before you give us the three names that you want to start with, how as much as we can tell in July 23, how much is the 24 draft going to be balanced with offensive talent and defensive talent in in the first round compared to other recent years? Is it a particularly strong defensive draft or the opposite? What's your overall take on that? It's it's pretty balanced. I think it's going to be top heavy with quarterbacks mm. um, because of because of Caleb Williams, and there will be there will be desperation there. But there is there's a lot of elite. Especially we're in the top ten. There's a lot of elite defensive talent. It's gonna be it's gonna be pretty even. It's it's a good year to need anybody. There are some years where it's like, okay, if you want pass rushers, good luck. Or oh, you want a quarterback, good luck. This has got a bit of everything as it as it looks at the moment. That can change, but at mm. the moment, it's pretty balanced. More balanced than it usually is, in fact. Okay, so on that basis, because I think you were talking, uh, obviously about certain drafts in recent years that have had in terms of defensive positions a particularly strong concentration which for all kinds of reasons affects draft strategy right because if you feel a, a position is particularly deep that and it's a need for you but maybe not the most pressing need you might think right i'm gonna that settles it i'll go elsewhere around one because i can get a decent player round two is there one position that depth really stands out um in that respect like corners for example in i would years, say that's been yeah i would say d-line I would say this is a really good one for D-line. And in fact, I there's, there's a lot of good defense players. So getting it down to my favorite three was was tricky. And I've gone for two, two D-linemen. There was okay. a linebacker I liked who is pretty versatile, who we'll talk about another time. But yeah, I've gone two D-linemen and someone in the secondary because it's it's really good at the top for D-linemen. Was the linebacker Vontae Mack? <laughs> to throw that in. All right. So this is in no particular order, right? You're not power ranking them per se. So no. all right, lead off with who's your on that basis, who's your number one? Um, my number one has got to be Jared Verse, who's a defensive end at Florida State. He is the best pass rusher in a group of very good pass rusher. He's he's a absolute sack machine. He's working on the run blocking, which I think was improving last season. But he is just he can do he can do so many things. He's got so many moves. He's so explosive. He just keeps going. And he's been such an exciting player. And one of the reasons that Florida State have really kind of getting back to getting back to prominence. 
at the moment, I would say he's the guy who's going to be the first defensive player off the board, and he's going to be a massive upgrade for a lot of teams. Okay, number two? Number two is Michael Hall Jr. He's a defensive tackle at Ohio State. Um, he's he's like he's a very big guy, but he's got like that low center of gravity. It's the thing that everyone will notice. He's got this low center of gravity, which just helps him. Unless he's double teamed, you are you are in trouble. So he's got this great strength. He's really physical. He's another one that's just got like a great motor. The legs just keep keep moving. Um, the only the only criticism I would say really is that when you when you see him up against some other players, you'll see that his arms are a bit shorter, which although I notice it, I notice it between plays more than when it's actually in action. But time will tell whether that's something that NFL teams have got an issue with. And do you think these two, and as we established, you're not power ranking them per se, but do you think these two will both go in the top 10? Yes. Okay. And what about right your third, now, three, all three? Did you third okay, player two? Yeah, all three, I think, will go in the top 10. And this is a guy who we've talked about briefly before. And I think when I say the name, people are going to be like, oh, that guy. And I hope that his name sticks in your head because if you listen to this show and you've got friends who don't listen to the show, at some point they're going to talk to you about this guy and you'll be like, yeah, I know all about him. I know all about Kool-Aid McKinstry from Alabama, who (laughs) is just one of the, one of the best kind of like man corners to have come out in the last few years. He's just, he's quick. He's smooth. He's very confident. Um, He's one thing I absolutely adore about him is the way that he supports the run defense and just seems to love making those tackles. If someone if someone breaks through past the linebackers, he is going to put a lick on them. And I'm not sure if he'll be used like this in the NFL, but he's been a great punt returner at Alabama as well. Um, Saban's more than happy to put him back and make those sort of moves because he's just so quick and fluid. He's not the tallest. He's only six foot, but six foot, six foot one, whichever. But he plays taller, if you know what I mean. He's just got that, he's got that physical nature. So hard to forget Kool-Aid McKinstry. It really is. And you know very well, Ben, and indeed all of you out there, that the quarterback is my favorite position in the NFL. We've already propelled Carlton Davis into all-star <laughs> status just, just from the comments earlier. Quite possibly, based on everything I've heard, everything you've told me, tape I've seen so far, I don't care if he goes to a a team I loathe, uh, maybe, yeah, maybe there are one or two exceptions <laughs> there, but, but which I diplomatically won't say. But on the basis that he doesn't um, hook up with Sean Watson, <laughs> then <laughs> he might become, he might become automatically top ten all-time favorite players based on what you based on what you told me about him. Everything about him sounds incredible. I hope that whoever does draft him puts him on returns. Let's oh. just get a bit of a bit of neon neon back back and rolling i love this um all right betty brilliant stuff and and as you rightly say this is the kind of framing we want to do pepper these in throughout the course of the off season and into the the 2023 nfl season to drip feed build you up so when the draft comes around next year and when when your team positively or otherwise is think you're already thinking about next year what's happening next year you've already got good foundational knowledge you know the big names the big players you know the dynamic the ratio the deep positions all of that good stuff so yeah as as ben says you can 
You can wow your mates with some insider steers. And look, plagiarize the hell out of Ben. I mean, frankly, I do uh, on a regular basis. <laughs> so just basically cast that as your own opinion and you'll be fine. Um, on that note, before we get into my nomination for the NC show movie, football movie Hall of Fame, just paint the picture, the elevator pitch, I guess, for the 2023 college season. As I said at the top of the show, the biggest narrative, of course, is whether Georgia can three-peat. And they, they're they the bookies' favourites. That Propo and I have been looking at, um, looking obviously looking at that, <laughs> the degenerates that we both are. And they're heavy favourite. Is that because... Um, well, is it justified that they're heavy favorites? I guess is my first question. Yeah, it's a hundred percent justified. Um, they over the past few years they've had the most talented roster, and the past few years they have also had the top recruiting class. So, when players are recruited out of high school, they are ranked nationally by position and overall, and that gives um, universities a score. So they are they are ranked depending on how good the prospects are they've got coming in. And once how again, important Georgia, is that? Sorry, Ben, to, to jump in, but it's a really interesting point that I, I've never asked you before. How important are those rankings? Because you know, let's just follow through Friday Night Lights, right? And that was always mm-hmm. a big thing for Smash in yeah. Friday Night Lights. The, the uh, but we hear it all the time. He was the so and so right top ranked. Given what we have now in terms of the depth of scouting, the volume of tape, the game technology's changed the game how important are those rankings for college scouting operations they pay, they t- take them seriously well obviously they oh, seriously. how seriously so the thing is is that some coaches will feel like i'm not paying attention to the rankings because if this is the guy that i like and everything i've seen that the scouts have told me and all the film i've seen means that it's that this is the guy i want but he's not ranked that high i don't care mm. so they will generally say that when they've their ranking isn't great, as in their kind of the team ranking isn't great. Usually those who are at the top do say that, oh, yeah, yeah, well, look, you know, we've signed the best recruiting class. It is, it's not the be all and end all because there are players who will be not rated as highly. They might be a three-star recruit and they beat out a five-star recruit. Now, for Georgia, they won the national championship with Stetson Bennett and he was absolutely fantastic, but nobody considered him a five-star player coming into college and nobody saw him as a much of an NFL prospect. It was just, he's that sort of player. He's really well suited to the college game and he's got these limitations and the way that the Georgia team is built, they can make up for those. Now, nobody knows who's going to be quarterback for Georgia. And this is, this is something that you don't get in the NFL where you can be here in July for an NFL team and be like, I don't have a clue who's going to start at quarterback. You know, you have a strong, strong foundation for knowing who's going to be an NFL team's quarterback. In college, that's often not the case. So in Georgia, it could be Carson Beck, Brock Vandergriff, or Gunnar Stockton. Now, none of them really seem to be as good as Stetson Bennett, but they they don't need a star quarterback. They'll win with any of those guys, really. And they've got a pretty easy schedule. They only play one Power 5 non-conference game. So the vast majority of their games will be in the SEC but they're only playing one of the other uh, one team from one of the other Power Five conferences, and that's the annual rivalry game against Georgia Tech, who we are going to see in Ireland next year. Yeah, so that's we are. Good. But Georgia are just stacked. They're in. They are in one of the best recruiting areas of the country, and they just own it. If you are a good player in Georgia, it's unlikely you will be allowed outside the state lines. You are going to get hoovered up 
by Georgia. And that's where you want to go. You know, that's the dream. If you're a kid growing up in Georgia, generally you want to play for the University of Georgia. And right now, being the best team, they've gone in with every head coach of every high school team in Georgia. So uh, it becomes self-perpetuating the dominance, I guess. So Exactly. In that case, who's going to run them close? Michigan, are they in the mix? Right, so... In fact, let me right. So yeah. if I'll do I'll give you my four and I've given you Georgia. So here are my here's my very early prediction of the four teams that would make the playoff, right? Okay. I'm gonna say Alabama, mm-hmm. again another SEC team. There's gonna be a new quarterback there. It's probably gonna be Tyler Buckner, who's moved from Notre Dame. Now Bama haven't really gone in for like the splashy transfer portal signings, but this one's interesting because he's teaming up with his former Notre Dame assistant, assistant offensive coordinator, I think he was assistant head coach, offensive coordinator and quarterback coach, Tommy Reese, who's also moved to Alabama. It's an unusual situation that the quarterback and offensive coordinator of another major school have gone somewhere else, but that's what's happened. When did that deal go down? Um, so that was, that was in, uh, that was a couple of months back and it was that mm. Tyler, um, Tyler Buckner wasn't massively happy at Notre Dame. Mm. And Alabama needed a quarterback. And with the way the transfer portal is that you can quite easily move, he decided he decided to go. And Tom Reese has nothing gone with to do it. with the fact that he knew Propo was going to be in Dublin in August. <laughs> it's um I mean, <laughs> word will have got out. Yeah. I would imagine that everyone from Notre Dame has been listening to last year's podcasts and sure. they thought, I don't know about this guy. Yeah. So I mean, as we often wanted... feel that as well. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So they've got um, an interesting situation. Uh, uncertain how that will play out. Well, I mean, Bama are pretty, I mean, Saban is not going to play a high stakes poker, is he? He's got to be pretty sure no. he's the guy. Yeah, ex- exactly. He's not, he's not someone taking massive risks. And last year was one of his worst at Alabama, but mm. not because they lost a load of games. They just were not anywhere near as good as Georgia, really. But I think they're going to be back in the playoff. They won't stay out for long. I'm going to say Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And they lost in the semis to Georgia after losing to Michigan in the Big Ten. Now, Michigan seemed to be very much back. And I think the rivalry within the Big Ten between those two is going to be intense again. My guess is that Ohio State will win the conference, not Michigan. And that's mainly because I think they're so evenly matched. And I'm just giving Ohio State the benefit of the doubt. And I think Michigan have got a great shot at making the playoffs again this season. They were shocked by TCU on New Year's Eve in the semis last season. That game was ridiculous. But I haven't put Michigan in my four just because I don't think we'd have a situation where we've got two SEC teams and two Big Ten teams in in the playoff and locking out all the other conferences. So that's the only reason I've got Michigan out. And my fourth, I've gone for USC and I mm. picked them because they've got a relatively easy schedule in the Pac-12. Their only tough out-of-conference game is the big rivalry game with Notre Dame who obviously we're talking about a lot for many reasons but that's a massive game that's if USC can't beat Notre Dame then they're not going to the playoff and Notre Dame if they've got a good season and USC have got a good season and they beat USC Notre Dame are massively in playoff contention then but USC have got a dynamic offense they've got the best quarterback in college football in Caleb Williams so I've given them the benefit of the doubt so if it worked out like this We'd see a Georgia USC semifinal, an mm-hmm. Alabama Ohio State semifinal, but Michigan are going to be right in that mix. It's it's going to be it's going to, the Big Ten is going to be amazing. Ever since I saw the hard knock style Michigan all or nothing, it was, was it? it wasn't all or nothing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was an all or nothing. Of course, yeah. it was an all or nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, about Michigan. 
and particularly the trip to Rome. Oh, hardball. <laughs> I want to see the Pope. Hardball, maybe the Pope. It, they, uh, I think, they might be my college team. I know they're a big. It's a. I probably should go for someone smaller and more left field, but, <laughs> but I'm rooting for them. I hardball well, seeing the Pope is great. On that topic, and I'll, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and I like repeating it because I think it's an it's a good way in for everyone in college football. Pick a team in every conference. Mm. So you can be the guy that's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to pick Michigan. And they are massive. I think Michigan have won more games than anyone in college football history. But, you know, you can pick Michigan. And then it's like, okay, well, I'm going to pick some little random team in the Sun Belt as well. And the great thing is, is that there's always something going on. No matter what time you put the TV on on a Saturday, there's always something going on that will affect one of your teams. Pick a team in every conference. Pick a giant. Pick Alabama if you want. But also pick like a little guy in a smaller conference, and it just gives you the wide variety. And you lost end up seeing so many interesting players that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. I'm going to do that. I love that idea. I'm going to do that. And gang, you should as well. And we can then, when you're on during the regular season, Ben, we can, I can ask you how my how my little team's doing, uh, yeah. and listeners can fire in as well. So pick a big gun uh, as better. Pick a Georgia. Pick a pick a USC. Pick an Ohio State. But also then pick a Boise State. Well, I mean, like, they're pretty you know, big. It could be, even... yeah, they're, they're, they're big, but they're not in a big conference. So mm. if you want to pick, you know, so like I say, one from every one from every conference. One from if you each pick, one. All right, I love that. Yeah, and then you've then you've got everything. You know, you can be like, okay, well, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick Tulane in the Sun Belt. Tulane, who play in New Orleans, like just and you know, maybe then you go to New Orleans and you go to a Tulane game. I want a team with blue blue astroturf, blue four. Well, then you're kind of limited, but there is. There is a team that has red. Oh, so nice. That as well. Who's that? Who has red? Um, is that Eastern Washington? Oh, I'm in on they them. don't even play in one of the major conferences. Yeah, they've got a, they've got a, like, if you think the blue turf is ugly and anyone who's mm. watched a Boise State game, I, you, you will have an opinion, whether you like it or not, the Smurf turf. If you think the blue is ugly, wait till you see the red one. And oh, if you try watching a, a full <laughs> game on the red one. Hangover it, on that. It, yeah. I love it. <clears throat> Speaking of hangovers, segues nicely into my selection for the nc show football movie hall of fame which is and it'll come as no surprise to you gang i think not least because i think i told you what it was last week it's draft day now i gotta put the case forward here because i know i could hear it already some of you are what if carlson was here he'd be spitting out his scotch and you can't be serious <laughs> and i get it i get the fact that it's not the greatest not the greatest movie of all time by any stretch and it is one that I flip-flop between absolutely loving it and also thinking, probably simultaneously, actually, <laughs> it's terrible. And But I'm not doing it for kitsch factor. I'm not doing it well solely for that. Because I think, well, put it this way, I've never been worried about being the cool kid, Betty. You know that, right? I'm True. not scared of saying things that I like just because people might don't, people might not think they're cool. And my tastes, uh, I, I, I hate the word eclectic, so I'm not going to use that, but they're pretty varied, right? You know my love of hip-hop. I will happily have Redman, a deep cut, Craig Mack, and then on my shuffle, Poison will come on, or Bon Jovi, yeah. and I'm fine with that. And I don't yeah. care what people think about that. That's 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 where I go with that. I guess I'm the same with, with TV and with movies, right? I love Succession, The Sopranos, The Wire. But I love SWAT. I love SWAT. <laughs> yes, true, I like true. And I don't just mean, oh, I'll watch three minutes of it. You know, when you turn on GB News, 
for a laugh and you could watch it about 40 seconds or fo- probably Fox News as well. And then, okay, the joke's over now. I, I, I have to turn this off. I, I feel sick watching Jacob Rees-Mogg <laughs> and Farage and these idiots. I don't mean like that. I don't mean it pure kitsch factor. I I, I like it. I, li- I realise John Bon Jovi is not Springsteen. I realise that. But I love a bit of Bon Jovi. I love David Lynch. Mulholland Drive may be my favourite film of all time. But I love draft day and I'm happy with that balance in my life. It can't just be about the, um, well, I've got to substantiate it. And this is how I'm going to put the case forward as to why I think draft day deserves a spot in our hall of fame. I mentioned at the top hangover movies, because there are, there is comfort watching be it TV or film. We all have them, right? We all have our go-to things. They come on. It's definitely The Sopranos for me. Cheers, of course. I just feel whether it's a hangover or a cold, you've just had a shit day and you want to, the West Wing is probably my number one here. I just want to, I might've seen it a hundred times. I just feel comfortable with this on. Draft Day is such a comfort zone movie. And it's for a number of different reasons, not least the way that it's shot. Ivan Reitman's the director. Uh, Reitman is... A fascinating guy. Reitman is in that late 70s, 80s crew of brilliant comics. Bill Murray, most notably, he's had a strong association with. He directed Stripes, Ghostbusters, of course, Reitman. He produced Animal House, right? So this is a guy with serious comedy chops. Um, On a side note, by the way, Benny, I don't know if this is true or not, because I saw this on uh, online with that so i haven't i haven't properly substantiated or verified this but i hope it is just a quick tangent in in the early 1980s reitman was attached to direct a film called the batman okay. with bill murray as batman uh oh david niven as as alfred okay william That's holden okay. as commissioner james gordon and david bowie as joker Oh my God! What I mean, I I mean, wow! This feels like a fever dream. I would I would love that, and it never it never got done. Anyway, in case you weren't aware, it never got me. Never got wow. Uh, Ivan Reitman, and there is a there is a a very easy on the eye visual flow to the film. He plays a lot. We're back on draft days. Hang hang with me. Plays a lot with split screen and breaking the screen up into four. There is a slightly retro feel to that really really comfortable let's go to the cast next right undoubted undoubted clean sweeper positives i don't think there's a weak link costner i think might be the best leading man in sports movie history i can't think of a better oh yeah 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 i'm not gonna i'm not gonna doubt that i think he is i think he is you're in safe hands straight off the get-go costner Again, given what he's achieved, sneaky underrated. Sneaky underrated, yeah. I think. Yeah. People Agree. just... He's a little bit bland, a bit cheesy. Uh, they remember the Postman and Waterworld, which, of course, toppled him from... I mean, he was major, major boxer. Uh, yeah, and, you know, it was... Um, when he made The Untouchables, Yeah, that was, I think, like his first big kind of hit. And mm-hmm. he, he'd asked for a lot of money for that. And they were a bit like, this guy's not that big. But other, I think the producer was like, but he is the guy for this. He is yeah. going to be Elliot Ness. And I think that was the, that was the start of his massive ascent to being 
Hollywood A-list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're in safe hands with him. Jennifer Garner, who plays, of course, the uh, the salary cap specialist within the team. And I, I'm sure all of you know the, the plot of the draft, the clue's kind of in the title, but without giving any spoilers, set in Cleveland, the NFL, full compliance with the NFL, and this is part of the knock on it that people say it's propagandist, but... If you go and look at that Tim Roth FIFA movie for propaganda sports <laughs> movies and give draft day a break here. But so, and again, I think that adds to the, that adds to the edge because it has real teams. It has Goodell. It has the actual draft room. You know, they, it, it, I like, I like that fact too. Anyway, Jennifer Garner is, um, is part of the front office. She again, underrated actress. I think she lights up the screen. She just, you just warm to her instantly. Jennifer Garner. She's not considered when you look at the great actresses of a generation by all the sharps. Good, really good film star. The brilliant, the late great Chadwick Boseman in the cast. You've got proper actors that are in character roles like Ellen Burstyn, Frank Langella. And of course, Dennis Leary, who you know is oh, yeah. close to my heart. And again, I think representative of loads and loads. You knew, of course, uh, you knew, we've known each other so long. You, you knew me when I was doing stand-up and you knew how I was hugely influenced by Leary. And most of the comics around me in, in at the time in the UK couldn't stand him. And it was Bill Hicks is our God and Leary's a hack and he's a plagiarist. And I love Bill Hicks too, by the way, but I was always team Leary and i I don't care. I don't buy into the plagiarism stuff. I remember I was thinking about this, knowing we were going to, I was going to talk about draft day. I remember doing a radio show, which had, it was called, um, it was called, it was a radio four show called spanking new. Right. And it basically had, I think it was called that. And it had new, new, newish comics that were breaking out. Right. And they recorded four sets at the drill hall in London and they were 15 minute sets that ended up going into this this show and a couple of things about it i was so i was on the bill with rod gilbert chappy Korshandi, and a comic called hills barker right and firstly i had this is quite early on into my career so it was a big break for me i'd never actually done 15 minutes before i did this. that was the first time i ever did 15 minutes. that can feel like a long time big time so i think there's quite a lot of filler in, in my material there but what was interesting i getting booked for this gig and it was a, obviously a big break it was the, i think the first major thing i did and i didn't have 15 minutes so i'm gonna have to write new material for this and and of course i road tested some of it before i went and did the did the thing but part of the material that i chose not to do revolved around the brett easton ellis book american psycho and i can't even remember exactly what the material was but something like i wanted to put it on reading list for for primary school kids or something i don't know some some kind of angle to do with how inappropriate book it is but if i was a judge i think every every child should read that book and i didn't do it hills barker on this show or like on that night as well did some material about it's very similar brace nellis america we hadn't ever talked about it it's not exactly a kind of widespread uh common idea it wasn't like brett ellis was in the news at the time, it was pure coincidence that she'd written and actually performed material that I was that close to doing on that night that was eerily similar. Now, this is the knock on Leary. Oh, his the, there and people pull out particular riffs that he does that are very similar concepts and constructs to Hicks. And I kind of get maybe uh maybe some of them are a little bit too close for comfort, but it's it's entirely possible for that to happen. And I don't buy into this whole Leary plagiarist 
thing. Anyway, he's the head coach in this movie, Benny. He's very good. And he's great. And he's perfectly cast as a grisly head coach. So undoubted positives with the cast, the direction. The plot is obviously where people have an issue with this film. And it is, it is at times ridiculous, but I, that's the charm for me. There's a great thing, which is over on the Chargers YouTube channel, where Tom Telesco, the Chargers GM, watches draft day. Oh, amazing. That's a good call, idea. It's a great idea. It's 15, 20 minutes. Go, go and watch it. The, my highlights from it, you know, because uh, uh, our listeners will know as well, that perhaps my favorite part of all of draft day is the first few minutes when the Seahawks on the morning of draft day, <laughs> what should we do with the pick? What should we do with the pick, right? <laughs> but then Telesco say that when Costner, and again, not, I don't want to give too many spoilers away, but Costner makes a deal with the Seahawks, which it sets a whole lot of stuff in motion. Tom Telesco, and, and then breaks the news to his staff. <laughs> I've I've made this deal on draft day. Telesco says he didn't, didn't tell his head coach like he didn't yeah. <laughs> utterly ridiculous he makes a brilliant point that about a third of the way through the film maybe not even that costner who is if you haven't worked out already the gm of the browns has a new intern as his effectively his pa like on his desk in the organization it's the other intern's gone it's a new intern in that role which Telesco says, I'd be a little bit suspicious on draft day if <laughs> someone random rocks up. And also to put an intern in that gig, like to put an intern as, uh, the, as the GM's EA madness. The thing that um, Telesco got most wound up about, Ben, the draft boards themselves, and he, he wouldn't let it go. In, in every, every organization, because you see the Browns, the Seahawks, of course, the Jags get involved. And he says the draft boards are totally unrealistic. They're tiny. <laughs> they're just totally unrealistic. You're thinking there are other elements of it where there's something you go, stop the tape, stop the tape. And they've written on a whiteboard the attributes of, of a quarterback, right? So his height, his weight, and something else. And the way they've done it, the guy interviewing Telesco says, is that how it should be? Is that accurate? He goes, yeah, yeah. So you get shit, that's really precise detail to that degree you've nailed that but the massive draft boards are completely <laughs> inaccurate that anybody involved in the game watching we're thinking what what is going on there but look it is it is feel good all the way through it is the fit i can turn it on halfway through after a long day and it just it makes me makes me happy it is riddled with plot balminess but it's ultimately at the heart of it a feel-good movie in the sense that the the rationale and the drive and the decisions that Costa makes all through the film underpinned by and I think this is a really important and often overlooked point that the cast are great they're all likable you buy into them you you're rooting for them it's unashamedly feel good and I love it for that so draft day is my induction into our hall of fame okay so come on here's my perspective on it now I I think it's fun and I don't love it as much as you but I'm certainly not going to argue against it being in our Hall of Fame. You love the bit when Dennis Leary sets fire. Oh, which <laughs> is what, which is what coaches do. Coaches right. do tend to do that. Yeah. They do trash places. Um, so I've. it's only recently I figured out what my kind of nagging issue was with draft day and how it corresponds with my issues with Ted Lasso. 
Mm. Both of them, great cast. Yeah. Both of them feel good shows. They are not yep. trying to be full of snark. This is me- you're meant to feel warm after watching them. And I figured out what the issue is. So when you're watching, if you the more you know about the NFL, the more you know about drafting, the more the more you know about what the what the front office do, the more you'll spot in draft day of like, it's not like that. That's ridiculous. That's so unrealistic. That's stupid. Blah, 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 blah. All that sort of stuff, right? In the same way, when I watch Ted Lasso, I feel like, well, this is just insane. That, okay, we're going to try and play total football and we're going to turn this around in a week with a bunch of like championship level players and we'll dominate the Premier League doing this. Now, my issue is that I guess I've just got this fear, and I say it's a fear, but I know it's happening. That because I I know enough Americans who are like, oh, I've basically got into soccer mm. from watching Ted Lasso. My fear is is that people will watch Ted Lasso and think, oh, that's what football's like, and that people will watch Draft Day and think, oh, that's what NFL drafting is like. And I think what it's not. If somebody are you telling what, me that? It is not accurate for the GM of an NFL team in the middle of the draft on the first round underway, negotiating a deal, putting the other GM on hold and saying to the room, what do we need? <laughs> You're telling me that's not realistic. I, I feel that it's something they should have known beforehand, perhaps. Yeah, maybe might now, have known. So if you're someone who knows British football very well, and you watch Ted Lasso and you accept it as like a, a silly pantomime that's a bit of fun, I get it. And if you're someone who really knows the NFL like you do, who watches it and like, I know all these things are silly, but I have so much fun watching this. And it's just like a, it's it's like a, a warm hug. I enjoy it. Then fine. It's, it's for me, it's those people who don't know the things who are then watching it and thinking those are the things. And the thing is, is that, I've got to not let that bother me. That's on me. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a Ben issue because if somebody, if a load of Americans are watching Ted Lasso and think, Oh, that's what football's like. I want to watch football because that's what it's like. Why do I care? And if people are watching draft day and they think, Oh, that's how it works. Why do I care? But I do care. And that's my problem. We've got to work on this. We've got to let it go. I think I might organize because incidentally, this is a nice way to flag that we are going to be doing some events this season, right? The NC show going to be doing events. And we're very close to announcing the first one, which let's just say is going to be Thanksgiving related and may involve a watch along with some of your favorites from the NC show crew in a central London location. That's what I'm going to that say. Sounds, that sounds something to be thankful for. I, I completely agree, Benny. And it may be what we should do ah oh, this would be fun maybe we should i'd be up for putting on draft day like hiring a hiring an every man i'm sure you can hire like an every man oh, right? yeah. yeah and Wait, doing an nc show draft day watch along and maybe uh, we could get i mean realistically who could we get from the car we're not going to get we're not going to get any of the people i mentioned oh we might get the guy who played the played the court the quarterback we might get him oh yeah what's his name I mean, I would, I would love it if we could get somebody who has had some sort of front office experience in the NFL as well. Oh, so yeah, that's a good certain, idea. At certain points, and they've got their hand on the remote. I'm oh. just going to pause this here. That's great. Just... That that's a great shout. We can basically rip off what the the brilliant charges social media yeah. team did on YouTube. I love that. Um, I've just had a thought as well. Arian Foster's in it. 
because he oh, plays wow. Ray Jennings. Yes. Right? So I think we could get Arian Foster. I'll speak to I'll speak to Jay Bellanosi. They're probably or, or Shane. Okay. They, Shane must know him. I, yeah. I mean, I'll um we'll we'll make some calls. We'll, we we got people. We got friends in high places. Um, or we could get Griffin Newman plays Rick the intern. Let's see what's <laughs> Griffin Newman gone on to do. Um, well, yeah, since he that. made since he made a draft day, he made a film called Butt Whistle. <laughs> what are your favourites, Benny? Oh, uh, yeah, not a huge amount uh, there, but hey, he's he's done a fair amount of TV. He was the trivia night host in Supergirl. Uh, yeah, he's got a oh the Mad oh, Hatter wow. in Harley Quinn, the TV series of Harley Quinn. Interesting. Okay, hmm. we're going to okay. work on getting Griffin Newman. Yeah, who's presumably yeah. listening right now. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe. Hey, he he's probably got some sort of Google show. alert when draft day is mentioned. Yeah. And so he's listening to this right now. Great point. I'll make sure Propo does his job in terms of the show notes so we get a lot of draft day. Draft day, Nick's listening. I love that. It is in the Hall of Fame. I, I'm, like I said at the top, I know there are going to be people saying, oh, come on. But this is sometimes you want to go and be absolutely wowed by a two Michelin starred chef <laughs> creating something that you're going to remember for life. And sometimes you just want a good burger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a, um, a Coke. The other, right? on the weekend. All right, Betty. Exactly. And on the weekend, my, um, my wife and I, we ended up, she'd never seen it before. We watched the, the Burt Reynolds original, The Longest Yard, oh, AKA, nice. AKA Mean Machine. So it's been remade twice. Um, well, remade twice in English, but it's also been remade in some other language as well. I can't mm. remember which one, but obviously there was the Vinnie Jones soccer version and yes. then Adam Sandler. Sandler's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, know, I've, so, which I've seen more recently than I haven't seen the Reynolds one for ages, so I might revisit that. Was it yeah, good? I've never, I've, yeah, and I've never seen the uh, Adam Sandler one, but the Burt Reynolds one, are things that things that I'd forgotten. It's like, mm. huh? it gets really dark when someone is like, someone is murdered, like someone's set on fire and locked in a cell and then it just, Five minutes later, it's back to knockabout comedy. Like, this is <laughs> really great. a brutal murder. And I'd yeah. forgotten how long, because it builds up to the, the the sequence of this game of the inmates versus the guards. And my wife realizing that, wait there, this is going to be, this is the rest of the film now. And there's still like 40 minutes to go. <laughs> it's just highlights <laughs> yeah. of the game. <laughs> Like, oh, I bet that went down for... well, mate. I bet that went down well at home. Yeah, there was a lot of checking of the watch. Well, we've got the NC Show Hall of Fame rolling. Uh, every guest that comes on will nominate a movie uh, to get in there. And you know what? We might even open up to the floor as well and uh, have some nomination suggestions from you. Why don't we do that? Why don't you fire in at the NC Show some of your ideas? And if it's something we haven't thought of or you can put a strong enough case, maybe we'll get you on to, to put the case forward. The ruling is what? What is the kind of Hall of Fame com voting committee here? Is it me deciding uh, if it goes in or not? Is that what we're saying? In Cook effect, pebbles, yeah. Maybe we could get them involved. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it would be. Uh, yeah, they're the good half. They're good arbiters. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'd, I'd be interested in yeah people, people telling us what film they would like because I've started to put together a list because I like the idea of us having a full on championship to oh, pick that's the right, number you do, yes. one. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And you're right. Yeah, yeah. I'm even. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to divide it up. So mm. we'll have the brackets and you'll have one corner is kind of like high school stories mm. and the you know, like one is like troubled teams or something and have mm. it all kind of so they're kind of like You're thinking for about like, this, Benny. I like this. Are we I gonna have seeding? Thought, is there gonna be seeding? Yes, well? it will yeah. be. It will be seeded. Right. And I might base the seeding on like the suggestions that we get. If loads mm. of people are suggesting um I don't know, 
exactly then that's going to get a higher seeding yeah. and then maybe Varsity for people blues. who are <laughs> for people who are particularly passionate maybe we get them to like record an audio clip of like 20 seconds tell oh, us why it. you love it and love it all right you know. let's do it let's get on it uh we are going to roll that out we got a ton happening uh, and of course we're getting closer to the season i know we joked about it being the dog days of summer but hey we've had fun over the last hour many i certainly have in it's your company pre- pre-season starts in like a month or something stupid it's oh like God. close we got a ton to get into there's a lot happening with the show this coming year outside of the live events i talked about we're gonna have a lot of video content going out different to how we've done before going to slightly change up the frequency of the shows as well we've been listening to you guys last season we were pushing out four sometimes five a week and we're going to do things a little bit differently this time around. So there's still going to be lots and lots of pods coming away. Don't get me wrong, but slightly different structure. So we're looking at announcing that pretty soon. All kinds of fun, interactive stuff happening too. Shout out to DraftKings and the Listener League and some other things we're working on there, which maybe will lead to some pretty cool prizes in the Listener League week in, week out. So yeah, a lot of good stuff. And of course, let's not forget with Edge Rush, and the DraftKings Listener League. We're going to be playing for charity as well. We were thrilled to support Shelter last season. That donation has gone over uh, and we're going to do the same again, be raising money that way. And indeed, whenever I drop a natism propo, we'll be keeping... He wasn't actually keeping any kind of accurate tab on it, by the way, Ben. So I just... We just got hit with a hit with a number. Um, but hey, it's all for a good cause. It's all, <laughs> it's all good in the end. So lots coming your way. Very excited about that. Benny, a pleasure. Good to catch up with you, man. Have a great weekend. Thanks, you too. Sports Social Podcast Network.